2: You didn't do anything.
0: We just want to toast our new friend. You see things, and you understand.
1: You're a wallflower. What is it? What's wrong? I didn't think anyone noticed me.
0: Well, we didn't think there was anyone cool left to meet. So come on, everyone, to Charlie. To
2: To Charlie. Charlie. Welcome to the island
0: of misfit. Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Arman Haddad.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Syndicates. I'm your host, Arman Haddad. This season, we are exploring the cinematic adaptations of love stories. Today, we're looking at the film adaptation of the perks of being a wallflower by Stefan Trubisky. But before we navigate through freshman year, I am joined by a very special guest, Elise Junior St. Prue, a film director whose most recent film is being featured at the Tribeca Film Festival, Arrinko in Adagio. Elise, welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> so I have to ask before we get into your short film. What's your film all about?
1: So this film is about a young boy who lives on a deserted um, type of farm, Delta community with his strict father. And he's training, you know, for his audition of a lifetime to go to a music conservatory in the city. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, when he first, you know, um, gets this music sheet from his dad, from his late mother, he has this interesting feeling and navigation of being lost in the music um, of ancestral dreaming the same time so he's like you know kind of finding himself through the music as well as being guided by his late mother
2: Mm. yeah that part of the movie really surprised me because i was like because in the beginning it's like oh it's a father-son thing i was like oh this is nice and he's teaching him how to play uh is it like the trombone
1: so he yeah so he's he's playing the baritone it's like an instrument yeah it's like in between trombone and um trumpet in terms of sound
2: yeah I should have known that because I was in band at uh the character's age, and I was playing the trumpet and french horn i I had a friend that played baritone, and you know he had to lug that thing all around right it super heavy for a little kid definitely so heavy, yeah, but once you get to like i guess the second act of your short film, he like taps into like his ancestors through the music, so I gotta ask, was music a big part of your life?
1: Yes, I actually grew up um, by musicians, my dad is a musician. Mm-hmm. Basically, every man in my family for generations on has been some type of musician. And I was very interested in how that, you know, related to me, because I did band for a long time, marching and symphonic and jazz. Mm-hmm. And I I want to say it came naturally, but I did have a natural instinct for music. And then the training came from there, you know. Um, and I'm like, how is all the men in my family, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> how are we all musicians? Like, how did this happen? And where do we get that feeling from? And I feel like it was something ancestral, you know, I feel like it had to be something that was down the generational line. It, you mm-hmm. know, it, it had to be something about family. So that little boy basically is me. I never got to go to music school. Um, I wanted to, but, you know, he gets to do it. And, <laughs> you know, and that's why this movie is half my childhood, half a reimagined.
2: Okay. That's that's incredible. Um but I I mean I'm a believer that so I don't know about you. Yeah. but I believe that where we are right now is kind of like everything that came before your ancestors are living through you. Mm-hmm. So if you come from a long line of musicians, I could totally see you taking that mantle up as well because it's like in your blood, in your DNA it's like hardwired.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely, it's like something that's already in you, you know, and you just have to find a way to explore it and find a way to use it and, you know, use right. that craft and I wish I still had a baritone I don't have one anymore uh, <laughs> I need to go buy one <laughs> but I do right. have an acoustic guitar that I'm self teaching, you know, mm. it's just music overall, you know okay. I feel like I just have some I gotta do it I gotta do it some way, somehow.
2: So you're picking up the guitar. Yeah. So it's hard.
1: It's hard, man. <laughs> it's just like it is not for. And some people can self-teach it, I guess. So not me. I think I need an instructor. Um, <laughs> it came with CDs and everything. That's like doing the bare minimum. I just need somebody to really show me how to how to get down with it because I need to build the calluses. They're not here yet. Mm-hmm uh yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know (laughs) it's a tough if the strings is a tough instrument because i'm coming from brass right right, yeah right
2: yeah it like kind of trying i used to play guitar back in the freaking day (laughs) and it's i guess kind of easy quote easy to pick up hard to master extremely hard to master Mm -hmm. while the bass the bass guitar, you know, there's less strings with the bass guitar. That's true. That's true. Hard to pick up, easy to master. Wow. Uh-huh. So, food for thought.
1: Yeah. Did you? And you did you self teach?
2: I was in. Yeah, I was in. I was in a rock band, and we played oh, a couple shows true. in Chicago. Why are you
1: sitting like that?
2: <laughs> I mean, we didn't go anywhere. Okay. <laughs> Um, But yeah, like that's awesome that you're... So what's like your dream instruments to play?
1: Oh man, I... piano. Actually, oh, yeah. yeah, I thought about that and I'm like, that's actually an easy answer. I've been trying to get into piano for so long. I'm actually looking for a keyboard, you know, mm-hmm. refurbished, whatever, to just, mm-hmm. you know, have in the house and play with. Because when it all comes down to it, 90, I would say maybe 98% of musicians can play the piano, you know, or they can mm-hmm. they can get around with it because of the way it gives you the notes, you know, um, and you match them and it gives you the key and it helps you stay in tune and all of those things. Like, I would love, and I love the way the piano sounds too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's just the, that instrument, you know? And it's sure. everywhere. Yeah, you walk in a bar and there's a piano and I'm just like, man, I would love to be that guy to just start playing right now, <laughs> but it's not going to be any good. So... <laughs> And you could, and you could with piano, you could jump around to many places, and you know could maybe pick up some gigs or you know just play around for free and everything like that. And it's just, I think it's a it's a universal instrument. I think that's the main thing I can say about it. Um, yeah, um,
2: yeah. And music in of itself is like the universal language that connects us all together. Mm-hmm. And going back to your movie, where the music connects the main character, uh, the little boy, connects them to his mother that passed away. Mm -hmm. And it kind of has like this uh, uh, like generational, but it goes like beyond your life music because like say, say you pick up piano and you learn Mozart or Bach or Beethoven, like they, they're long dead, but their music lives on forever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we're still studying them too. Mm-hmm. You know, in the movie, the late mother, more of a background, she's a musician as well who plays the baritone, the same instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, and I could only assume that that's like the one of the first instruments you know or sounds he's ever heard, and it's like embedded in him since then. You know, because baritone is not the most popular instrument; um, <laughs> it's actually <laughs> one that goes by the wayside. Not a lot of people know it. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm I'm fine with that. I know that. You know, but I think like. It's in a lot of bands and everything of that sort. So I definitely wanted to shine a light on it um, and put it in a place that gives it a larger audience to, you know, play with. Because trust me, I didn't go to band for baritone. I went for snare drum. Uh, Really? (laughs) Like we all did. You know, we all saw drumline. 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 Yeah. (laughs) We want to play drums. And then he threw me the baritone and it was rusty. It was... It was ugly, and I was like, "I don't know what this is." You got a trumpet, and he's like, "Like, if you're not gonna give me the drums, just throw me a trumpet or a saxophone." And you know, and he's like, "No, like, we're all full. Just try this one out and mm-hmm. tell me, you know, how you feel." And I think the, the interesting part about that is with music, I hated my first day in band. Um, yeah. I actually was not gonna come back. I thought it was the worst thing ever. Um, I was wow. like, "This is too much work." This thing is heavy. Um, the notes, right. I'm never gonna get it, you know. And it, it was my sister who was like, um, just try it again. Like, just go back the next day. You can't make like a decision off of one day. Just go back the next day and fill it out and see what it feels like. Um, and I went the next day mad. And <laughs> and I fell in love for sure. Yeah, with everything, you know, and since then it was just a whole jumble of, I want to do this, I want to do this in the back, you know? And they teach mm-hmm. you how to read notes and everything of that mm-hmm. sort. Then, you know, we go to evaluation and we're playing solos and we're getting judged. And, you know, it goes a long way, I could say that. from, And I, I would have never done all of that if I didn't go back the next day, you know? Nice. So that's the biggest thing with the father, all the things that he says in terms of dialogue when he's teaching him to be strong and be very, mm-hmm. um Particular about his skill, you know, Mm -hmm. in playing this instrument, because you just never know.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah, and you learn discipline in picking up an instrument as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, Uh it's it's a it's a very what you captured on film is a very nice father son teaching moments, where he's um, showing his kid like indirectly like this is how you become a man and. And to honor your mother as well and yeah I, I thought it was fantastic you did a great job
1: <laughs> yeah thank you and it's, it's funny because my that's a, that's like a um, a depiction of my dad but mm. the, the reimagining part is my dad doesn't talk as much so he's like you know more of a cool guy um, you know little words here and there when he really goes on a ramble for a story yeah he'll, he'll say that but this character talks much more than my dad <laughs> and that's, and that's what I really wanted because, you know, my dad wouldn't say any of those things to me at that age. Um, I'm Haitian, so I come from a Caribbean family and they're very strict. So I get all of those inspirations and insights and wisdom like that in, in that form now, you know, at this age that I am now. But before it's more of a learning experience and almost stimulation through different, you know, stages of life and through different situations and events that I get in as a child, but I think in the movie, I wanted him to say those things to him at that age, because not only is he, he has the ability and, you know, opportunity to go to this music observatory so they won't be with each other anymore, like physically, but also I thought it would be interesting to know how that affects him at that age to hear these things mm-hmm. now, you know, like what if my dad told me those things now, how would I have, you know, done things differently? Uh, I nice. know, so, yeah. And nothing wrong with how I am now and how I was raised and how our relationship is. We're very close, too. So I wanted mm-hmm. to make that apparent that, yeah, he's strict, but it's it's nothing but tough love. Right? There's nothing else crazy going on there. It's right. a very close relationship. Yeah. And flex. <laughs> 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 you know?
2: Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, he, he's strict because, you know, he cares about you and he wants you to... Uh, not be a knucklehead, right? Right. Put it lightly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you made an awesome movie from all this, and it's at Tribeca. Now, I do have to say, I do have to ask. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you surprised that Tribeca was like, all right, yeah. Of you course can show your movie here
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Of course Well here's the funny part So we um, This movie was made through A program called Rising Voices Right mm. Um, So it's a mentorship Program for directors And it's sponsored by Indeed Created by Indeed And there's Other studios involved Such as Lena Waite's um, Hilary Grant Productions mm. And It's a It was like a few weeks You know Of pre-production Production and post But When we got to the end They were like well, we always knew the films would premiere somewhere. We just didn't know until towards the end. And they said, "Oh, we have like this deal with Tribeca, you know, that's going to okay. allow the films to come in." And I was like, "Wow, you know." So <laughs> that, well, I'll that's cool. That. Yeah, that's cool. You know. So I'm like, yeah. it's crazy because you know Tribeca is, of course, on probably every filmmaker list to get into, mm-hmm. you know, and. To be able to have that experience and go out to new york i would never been to new york before it was my first wow. time and tribeca's first time in person since you know the height of the pandemic so everything was just all in one. Um, it was a big thing for everyone yeah and it was wow. really really fun
2: i can imagine man that is that is absolutely amazing to be to see your did you see your movie on big screen Yes, man. That's they right did to. these
1: outdoor screenings, but it didn't take away from much. Like it was a big screen. They have like big surround sound um on the edges. It's a lot of chairs that's going down. They put it in really nice, creative areas around the city and in different boroughs around New York. Um It was it was nice. It was a big screen. They art screening was sold out. They kept adding chairs because wow. people kept wow. coming and coming and coming. It was wow. fun. Have you been to Tribeca?
2: I have not. No. To be honest, I've never been to New York. Oh, crazy. <laughs> Chicago. Chicago number one, always. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I just
1: can't deal with the cold in Chicago.
2: It's it's rough. <laughs> the, the summer heat is rough, too. Yeah. It's rough all man. around.
1: <laughs> it, it's a lot going on in Chicago when it comes to the weather. Uh, <laughs> right. right. You have to go to New York. It, it's it, it's a fantastic place. Yeah. Okay. I enjoyed it a lot. You'll like it.
2: Okay. Yeah. Will do. So I got to ask, um, where are you from if you're not from New York?
1: Yeah, I'm from Miami, Florida.
2: Oh, very nice. I've been there plenty of times.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You're probably there for the beach.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, South Beach is cool. Uh, I like, you know, that one building in Miami with like the dancing girl and she's like illuminated. With uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time I see that, I'm like, I'm in a whole nother world.
1: <laughs> Bro, Miami is. It's definitely a city that never sleeps. Um, It's fast paced, but it's also kind of like they say Florida is a different world overall. I believe Mm -hmm. that Um, (laughs) Miami is definitely a different part. It's part of Florida, but it's like a whole different thing because it's you know, it's just it's like being on an island. Honestly, Um, sometimes Mm -hmm. it feels like you're on an island. It feels like a vacation. You know, so growing up there, I grew up five minutes from the beach. I went to college wow. five minutes from the beach. Like, <laughs> I mean, Very nice. yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm almost never in South Beach. I think my first time at South Beach was in college. Yeah, it's Very more nice. of a, I guess, more of a tourist thing. But like, mm-hmm. it's definitely, there's just so many beaches, um, so many strips, you know, everything looks like I could. Freaking cabana, so it's like (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Like it's a it's a it's a cool place and I definitely yeah, I hold it all to Miami. I love Miami.
2: Yeah, Miami is pretty sweet. Every time I go there I feel like I'm in the movie Scarface.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's another thing, you know? Yeah, Miami vice, all of that. You just feel like you're in a whole nother type of you know, and it's too hot over there. It's very hot, man. Yeah.
2: The humidity is like insane. Yeah, it's
1: like dripping. So now I live in Georgia. So I, I live in Atlanta, mm. Georgia right now. That's ah, where cool. I am. Cool. And the sun is hot too, but it's more towards the other, you know, half of the south. So it gets a little bit more dry here than anything. Mm. It's humid sometimes, but not like Miami. Miami, when it's hot, you're drenched in sweat. I mean, like somebody just threw a bucket of water on you. <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: Like imagine living down there before the invention of uh, air conditioning.
1: Yeah, you see? <laughs>
2: It'd be dead.
1: <laughs> dead, you know, like, just the fans or um, even, you know, just going with, you know, natural breezes. Right. It's like, yeah, that's a no. So when we get the hurricanes, yeah. man, I'm over it.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I do have to say, you guys that grow up in Florida you're like a different breed of people like every year <laughs> is my house going to blow away who knows <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> like yeah that's that, that's definitely you know in your head I mean there was one hurricane <laughs> that knocked us out for like three months three months no power no nothing like no school and just everybody in the street riding right a bike rollerblading you know just having fun kind of trying to make something out of the thing but I'm definitely never afraid of hurricanes. I mean, they've done, yeah, they've done some really serious disasters and it's extremely unfortunate. And, you know, we adapt to that. But like, I've been through so many hurricanes, man. I promise. You. <laughs> like, when I see people run into the store, they're like, let's get water. Let's get, you know, food, cancer food. And I'm kind of just sitting down like, we have that, we're, you know, we're, we're gonna be good, y'all.
2: <laughs> wow deep down deep down inside you are florida man oh yeah, oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> the storms now nah,
2: so before we transition to the perks of being a wallflower i do have one last question about your movie yeah since you directed it what were the biggest inspirations for the overall aesthetic
1: ah great question and you probably see it too um <laughs> Maybe, maybe yeah. (laughs) I had I had a few um, inspirations. The biggest one is of Beast of of the Southern Wild, for sure. Um, I've had a little bit of inspiration from, of course, Whiplash because that movie you know Mm. knocked me out.
2: No pun intended.
1: Yeah, right. No (laughs) pun intended. (laughs) More Blood, Better Blues by Spike Lee also was an inspiration there too. Um, There's a little bit of what else? Maybe those are. I, that's probably mm. majority. Yeah, that's probably it. Um, those are the biggest, I would say, inspirations with the aesthetic, because uh, you get that you know hot type of feel, brown, um, mm. rustic, swampy feel in the beginning half, mm. and then more of the um, symphonic, you know, modern feel towards the last half. Yeah, mm. and the fantasy yeah. half in the middle.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> Like turn into Lord of the Rings in the, in the Yeah, in the middle you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh Daughters of the Dust, um, it's an inspiration for the middle half of the fantasy, y'all say. Mm-hmm. That's probably another inspiration. Yeah.
2: Sweet. I mean, you did you did a great job and you did a great job like sectioning off the quote chapters of this short film. Cause like I really like the humble beginnings of like, you know, the Louisiana bayou look and feel, and then Towards the end, he is, like you said, in this modern building, like a school. Yeah. Kind of looked like a college and really nice lighting in oh, that symphony Thanks, uh, man. Area. Yeah.
1: The DP and, you know, our gaffers and the whole team was really creative and really skilled in everything, man. Like, we had a whole. It's, it, this is, first of all, this is my favorite and best set I've ever been on and shot. I'll say that but also the crew everyone was aware of the story everyone was aware of what we were trying to do what it should look like you know what we mm-hmm. were going for and so every day we shot we shot it in 3 days wow they were they they were trying to find you know new ways to try this try that um fill this out you know check this out uh let's light it this way you know let's do mm-hmm. that a lot of haze. <laughs> we were having, I know it's random, but I would never forget how much haze we were spraying around. It was so much fun. It, it, we were just taking turns with the can, with like hazing up, you know. Let's just and then we just hazing the stage, hazing the you know barn house, and just like <laughs> making everything just look misty.
2: <laughs> Yo, Acty, hold on, I gotta make it more haze. Yeah,
1: more haze. The DP would be like, uh, "Can we get some haze?" And just was a like, fog
2: machine. <laughs>
1: it it's it was the best play with the haze man yeah the lighting <laughs> was a blast
2: <laughs> oh my god Definitely, yeah man. yeah that sounds like it was a fun time i can't believe you did it in 3 days that's super quick
1: yeah bro we shot it in 3 days um we actually had 3 weeks of pre-production uh right <laughs> so basically right, right. 3 weeks of pre-production um, three days of shooting in April, and we had the month of May to edit well, yeah, pretty much the month of May to edit with a hard deadline of turning it in June first, so we really shot okay. this in April, yeah, I wow. had it done by by May thirtieth thirty
2: first wow, yeah, <laughs> I call you the flash
1: fast track, <laughs> Can I tell you fast track, man that is. Yes. Our, the composer did it in about five days, four to five days. Five. Yeah, that blew Wow. Me. Yeah, she scored that thing in four to five days, um, and matched the baritone sounds as well. So we made the baritone wow. score first, then she matched that, you know, and scored the rest of the movie. Yeah, she was wow. just sending, 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 sending. What you think about this? What you think about this? Okay, let's lock this in and. Then set it off to the sound house. They did their thing while coloring was doing their thing. Yeah, man. It was fast, fast track, bro. Tribeca needed those files.
2: <laughs> and you delivered.
1: Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was single swim, bro. <laughs>
2: right. I mean, as a, so I'm a professional designer yeah. and yeah. I work well under pressure. I think that's when I make my best work. It's like, we need this now. Oh, Dun, 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 dun. get it done. Here you go. It's just a blur and you just look back and you're like, oh, I guess that's pretty good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I think that's that's one thing about art. It's it depends on if you, if you have the time, you know, mm-hmm. to for it because I, I act as well. And, you know, you audition for something you're getting. It, it could take a, a wide variety of time depending on callbacks and booking. But sometimes if it's for a TV show, I mean, you audition, you're getting a call back really soon. You're going to hear if you book really soon. You're going to be on set in like three days, you know, <laughs> like wow. you're shooting like this, like this, like this, mm-hmm. like this. So and you you have to prepare. You got to know your yeah. lines. You got to make your mm-hmm. strong choices and be interesting. And that's that's the beauty of the art. Like art, we do these things really fast Art is pretty fast. Most of the time, I would say. So awesome. I guess you got to have that in you. You got to have that skill.
2: Yeah, it's uh, not for the faint of heart, as I could see.
1: <laughs> not at all. Not for procrastinators, even though most of us <laughs> are. Um, like <laughs> we are, but then you know we get it done. Uh, but it's not for <laughs> procrastinators. It, it's definitely not. You know, for you gotta definitely you'll be busy. You gotta learn how to just be busy and balance.
2: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you knocked it out of the park uh, with this short film, and so. So the listeners, where can they view your movie?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So they could view Arinko and Adagio on Indeed's site, which is jobschanges.com slash Indeed's Rising Voices. Um, they could, that's in my bio. And you could also, if you just Google Rising Voices by Indeed, I mean, a plethora of things will pop up and you'll get yourself in the movies, as well as nine other filmmakers that made phenomenal short films, part of the program. And then you can also find it on Amazon Prime.
2: Well, there you go. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So if that takes too long for you, go ahead and get your fire stick, smart TV, no matter (laughs) what it is, go ahead and click it on Amazon Prime. You'll find the movie right there, Rico Nidal
2: That is amazing. And congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So let's pivot to your recommendation for today, which is the perks of being a wallflower. So I do have to say, when you reached out to me and I said, "Hey, would you like to join the main discussion with recommending an adapted uh screenplay?" and you're like, "Sure. Let's do this movie." And I was very surprised. Really? <laughs> I was surprised because um it's an older movie. I remember when the book came out way back when. Yeah. I was in high school. And that caused uh waves in my friend group because it was a good book and mm-hmm. I thought it showcased coping with depression in a realistic way where it wasn't like cheesy or over the top sensational. It was like pretty grounded. Yeah. So I got to ask, how did you first hear about this movie?
1: Okay. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I, so I'm a, I'm a cinephile die at heart, you know? Um, and, it was a time where, and it's funny because this movie came out in 2012. And I always tell people in 2012 and a little bit of 2013, I watched about two movies every single night, like wow. something new. And I had this tablet where I was just, I mean, <laughs> downloading, downloading. You didn't hear from me. And I got, <laughs> I got to this movie because I think, I think one, a reviewer on YouTube like raved about this movie. And I was like, I, OK, I'll, I'll add it to the list. And that's that's mainly how I saw it. Um, I didn't know about the book at first when I first saw the movie mm-hmm. and I watched the movie. Then I said, I got to definitely research this book because they did it so well. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a movie that st- since then stuck with me because I've never seen a coming of age movie as warm as that. I mean, they're usually warm, but this one is extremely feel good and e- emotional. You know, mm-hmm. like it deals with real stuff. It's yeah. presented in a very, very interesting way. I think so. Um, extremely authentic way. I'll say mm-hmm. that for sure. But at the same time, it's it's high school freshman year. You know, we all done it. And, and, you know, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, they're all just dealing with these things, you know, Um, but like they that movie just skipped all the it, not really even the bullying. He doesn't really get bullied. Like they skipped a lot of the things and went straight to right. finding your tribe of a friend group for high mm-hmm. school. You know, and he gets really attached mm-hmm. and it just leads him on this journey of, you know, trying new things and, you know, having fun here and doing falling in love, you know, and like right. all of these things that kind of run through his mind, but he also has a whole background of stuff that's, you know, opposite of feeling good, you know, at the same time. So it's like that uh, as as freshman year, you know, sometimes we have a hard time freshman year and we look back and we're kind of like, it was crazy, but it's also one of the best times of our life. Uh Like, he could definitely say that. He could say it's one Uh of the best times of his life because it made him better, you know, and then once it, let me not even get to that, but like, (laughs) you know. (laughs)
2: Yeah No absolutely Like These characters Feel like Real people
1: Yeah man Yeah It it 100% feels like real people Coming off of You know Harry Potter With Emma Watson I think that blew me away too With her You know How she was moving In this movie How authentic And you know Just clever And like Free You know These people were really free I mean they were kind of partying um I was high school. Right. I didn't right. get to do that, you know, oddly enough. I don't I know some people that parted in high school, but I didn't. But I think in this movie it doesn't show it like, you know, in a crazy bad way. It was like just what his friends did, you know, mm-hmm. um in this high school. I, I think yeah, I think they were very smart of how they presented this movie, you know. And the book is even darker. <laughs>
2: it's a lot darker. Yeah. And what's What's interesting is because I heard about the book first, yeah, and I knew how, like I, like I said, it's how how realistic showcasing depression and like going through high school. And then when I watched the movie, I was like, like you said, it kind of glossed over all of the bullying aspects in the book, and I was like, is this the same book? Yeah, that I read. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, what's interesting is the screenwriter for this movie is also the author of the book.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I thought that was interesting. I was like, huh.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's why I think it's smart. I think it's very smart, you know, of how like a lot of film, a lot of book to film adaptions can be a hit or miss. You know, uh-huh. um, honestly, I think a lot of them are hits though. I'll say in my opinion, but some of them, you know, fall short and I think because they weren't smart of how they are going to bring it to screen. Like, it's not right. the same, you know? Um, and I think exactly, because I come from, I started in theater acting, then I got to film acting. I think if you're gonna do a theater to film um, ad- adaptation, yeah. you gotta be very smart of how you do it, or else it nice. might not come across right, right too. Cinema is a different medium. Like, you just nice. have to adapt to what you're showing. So when people go to the movies to see something, they're not instantly gonna think unless you're a book fan or the theater play fan. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna go, um, oh, I'm keeping this in the back of my head that this is a theater play. Your movie goers <laughs> are not gonna do that. Yeah, that's not their that's not their job either. Their job is to be immersed in something else because it's a different medium, you know. So right. They don't watch plays. That's why you know they are movie goer at this point. If that's the, if they're that type of person. So mm-hmm. with this movie, I I kind of, I like what he did kind of because I think he wanted it to be, yeah, it's from the book, but you know it's it could stand on its own too. If the book didn't exist. Right. I wouldn't even know.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah, I think about when you mentioned like theater to cinema adaptation. I think of like Les Miserables oh, and man. how panned it was which is strange because like you you would think like oh this is going to be a hit and then like it's just something off about it. <laughs>
1: oh, you're not a fan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like the story. I like
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But it's just I rather just see it in the theater. You, <laughs> you know?
1: honestly you yeah, I I definitely think that's one for the theater because of how music driven it is. I mean mm-hmm. 98% of it is singing. They sing the dialogue. Not all mm-hmm. musicals, you know, do that. And um uh, it's actually one of my favorite plays, uh, Nivey. Yeah. I'll say theater productions. Mm. Um, I-, I love Les Miserables. And I think it's a great story. And they did go a little a little art house on the movie with the way it was shot. Um <laughs> you know, it looks like a painting, uh, which is really cool, but oh yeah, it's long. And there's a lot going on, you know, so if you don't, if yes. you just watch that for what it is, I have a lot of friends that watched it and said, I don't think I could do that again. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but me, crazy enough, I've seen it a million times. I enjoy it. I actually okay. Yeah. Okay. But I, I, I get exactly what you're saying.
2: So did you watch, so I think it was on Amazon for a while. It's probably still on Amazon, but they did a dramatic adaptation of Les Mis where it was like. I think like a 10 part miniseries, no singing. It's just drama.
1: Oh, I think they did, yeah. No, I didn't see that.
2: It's so good. Really? so amazing, Uh uh-huh.
1: I got, okay, I'm gonna look it up, I gotta see it. Really, okay. You of all
2: people, people. (laughs) you would love it.
1: Okay, okay. And that that's the thing. Maybe that's what they needed to do, you know, and be smart about it. Maybe they just needed to make it about the drama. Because the story mm-hmm. is extremely heartbreaking and depressing. Like, I mean, that's one of the most depressing stories I know. Like, it's a, like, this just so mm-hmm. people are just, let me not even spoil. There's just people are flattening <laughs> out in that movie. But let's just say, oh, yeah. like, right, oh, yeah. you know, and just getting heartbroken left and right. You're kind of like, <laughs> what's left um, right. <laughs> when you're right. done so yeah I'll watch that that's probably the route they probably needed to go you know
2: so yeah you have Les Mis which is like they're trying to make a cinematic yeah very, very aesthetically pleasing movie and then with Hamilton that's a completely different direction where it's like they filmed the theater production and I think they should have done that with Les Mis, but I don't know.
1: Okay, so they did. Um, Actually, they, they, they have a 10th anniversary version of the play that's filmed like Hamilton. Well, Hamilton's more modern um, of how they mm-hmm. did it, but it's filmed kind of like that. And then they have a 25th um anniversary of, of Les Mis, which is filmed like that too. But a lot of people in the 25th anniversary is actually in the movie or maybe just one, Leah, um, who does, who plays Ebony in the movie, mm-hmm. um, actually played Anne Hathaway's character um, in, uh, yeah, in the 25th okay. anniversary play adaption, you wow. know? So okay, it's a little bit like that, but the, yeah, they did film it like that. They probably could have kept it like that, um, but they decided to do the cinematic version and we got what we got. you know but I did like Hamilton that was kind of like you know because Hamilton is another 98% probably 99% singing you know so it's a tough one to put into a movie a cinematic production and they were smart yeah putting it keeping it in the theater Um, I thought it was still enjoyable they threw an intermission in there Uh, and plus Mm -hmm. it's on Disney plus which I think it's the perfect place for it you know Mm -hmm. so yeah they they were smart with that i think you just gotta be smart when you're gonna try to do something like that
2: right disney was like how can i say no to this yeah
1: (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) hamilton is like a classic at this point you know and they're they're back on broadway they're going back on broadway yeah they just came to atlanta Mm -hmm. so they have i'm on i have the app that's doing uh the the lottery tickets trying to get those, those tickets
2: are still insane yes
1: those tickets are up there so i'm trying to get those ten dollar tickets you know <laughs> get a nice you know, little seat in there and if not then i'll pay the price because my sister loves hamilton and we were going to go to see it in new york but now that i know they got it going on in atlanta too until like the end of september i'm gonna like try to see what we could do you know that's closer they all in miami but we'll fly. Uh-huh. yeah all
2: right Sweet. I love how you pitched me the Perks of Being a Wallflower. We're talking about Hamilton. <laughs> We're talking about Les Mis. That's <laughs> crazy, man. So without further ado, Yeah. Listeners of the show know what time it is. It's time for some elevator pitches.
0: Oof, Please stand clear of the closing door.
2: So for those that don't know, if you're selling a movie on a friend, you really only have 60 seconds to do so. So to simulate that today, We are going to put 60 seconds on the clock. So I need you, Elise, to summarize the plot of Perks of Being a Wallflower within one minute. Are you ready?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
2: (laughs) We're going to start in three, two, one, go.
1: So the Perks of Being a Wallflower is about a young boy who, well, let's say teen, who is going to freshman year of high school. Um, and while he's there, he meets these group of friends that kind of show him the way of high school, They're seniors. And he is in, um, he is depressed. So he has these late background things that goes on with his family. And, but these people kind of shy away from that and show him more, but the, he has to navigate the fact that they are leaving for college and he might be, you know, alone to deal with these things once more. Um, in the midst, he finds love as well uh maybe more than one love and you know he's also and is a writer um so he finds a new love for writing too, through his teacher and a little bit of music in there uh there's just a lot going on it's about friendship um depression and it's a beautiful coming of age story
2: wow with one second to spare <laughs> yeah right <laughs> i mean you said it that was great so Yeah, I mean, it is a beautiful coming of age story. And uh, like we said earlier, it has a lot of heart. yeah, And a lot of warmth. And even though it doesn't pull its punches when it comes to uh, the stuff that the character goes through. Yeah, yeah. By the end of the movie, it's like, ooh, it makes you reminisce, it's like, I miss my high school friends.
1: Yeah, 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 it does, it does. By the end of the movie, you're going to feel a, a, a wide range of emotions. Um, I'll say I think there's a one scene that I won't spoil, um, even though it's been out for about 10 years, because you guys <laughs> are kind of, you know. But like, <laughs> one scene that I think is probably one of the most accurate depictions of depression on screen. It's um, extremely authentic, I'll say. And I've seen that happen before. I think it is 100% what a lot of people should look at when they want to put depression on screen. Um, They they, didn't try to be very artsy with it. They, you know, did simple editing, you know, Mm -hmm. that made it just effective. In my opinion, I was like, I, this is an episode. This is an anxiety attack, you know, Uh and that's what it looks like.
2: Right. And I know exactly which scene you're talking about. Yeah. And yeah, I thought it was masterfully uh, directed and executed on screen. It, You definitely feel anxious when the character is going through his episode.
1: Yes. I like, um, I have two of my best friends. um, They're they're two women and during college, I would like show them certain, like when we had time, I'd be like, I got a new movie to show you guys. And we'll do like movie nights, right? Um, This was one of the movie nights. And from that point on of the movie to like the end, they were like shaking. Wow. yeah they were legit like <laughs> oh my gosh and i i didn't i knew it affected me but watching it with someone else who's blinded of the whole movie i never tell them usually what the movie's about or anything like that um unless they really want to know and they usually want to know who's in it but like um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they're, they have to be big fans of logan lerman anyways so right. from that point on they were just like oh my gosh like i just can't i can't watch and it's crazy wow. coming from, you know, a coming of age movie like that. And now mm-hmm. I think a lot of coming of age movies have small scenes that are hard to watch or that like gives you a little bit of panicking. Um and I think it's interesting because that's a lot of what happens when you come of age. Like you have a lot of those anxiety moments, um, right. a lot of scary times, you know, figuring mm-hmm. out, finding yourself. It's a it's a coming of age is low key dark. <laughs>
2: Of course, because like you're leaving the comforts of your childhood Mm -hmm. and you're going into the adult arena. And when you go out into the world, ultimately, the world is going to not pull its punches. It's going to attempt to tear you apart and you have to navigate through this. So, yeah, The, the coming of age symbolism with like high school is like the perfect metaphor for growing up because like prior to high school it's like you know what life is mm-hmm. and then you get to high school, everything changes yeah <laughs> and it's like I have to relearn everything
1: <laughs> really you relearn everything and then you leave high school, then everything really changes then you leave right. whatever's after that maybe you go to college, maybe you don't mm-hmm. whatever, then everything really changes <laughs> you know it's like those stages um of life, and you know, you do have the movie that do have the um of the stories cent- centered in high school, but with this one, it, it just felt like different. You got the football games, you know, you got the after parties, you know, you got the dances. You remember that dance scene showed one hundred percent of like they were in their own. That whole group was in their own world, and they never got kind of bugged down for it because at the same time, they were also a little bit popular. So right. in their own friend group, you know, so it was, mm-hmm. they were invited to the parties, you know, they, you know, c- c- related to the football players. Like, it was mm-hmm. just interesting of how it had it going on. Plus, for sure. that main character is a freshman in high school. His sister was a senior. Same thing happened to me. Yeah, I came into high really? school as a freshman. My sister was a senior. Yeah. And it was, that's an interesting dynamic, too. It was cool for me. Um, but also the way it happens in the movie too, of how she acts at times, I'm like, Yeah, that's my sister. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> how long have you two been dating? Uh, we're brother and sister. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. <laughs> it's so awkward.
2: <laughs> it's like, mm, that's my brother.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the funniest <laughs> thing. Yeah, but my high school was crazy too. So I can only yeah. imagine.
2: Crazy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, my high school's High school is just crazy in general.
1: <laughs> it's a crazy place.
2: So our main character, Charlie, I'm glad the author did the writing for this movie because you can feel that Charlie is like an iceberg. And like what you see visually is just the tip. And that there's this whole bunch of trauma underneath the surface. That's like, you know, it's there, but you don't exactly know what's going on. The director did a great job of like intercutting his childhood. And we don't really understand the context until the very end. Yeah. And it's like, oh, everything makes sense now. Yeah. Because like throughout the entire movie, you're like, why is he socially awkward? Yeah. Why is he having trouble? Why is he seemingly depressed? Mm -hmm. We don't really understand why until the end yeah would you like to unpack that
1: yeah like and, and because his sister is not you know too so it's kind of like what's actually going on um i think with charlie first first of all logan did a great job uh an amazing job you know mm-hmm. presenting that on screen and i think because of that we were able to see He had a lot to say. Like the scene with him, um, his first, one of the first scenes we see of him in the classroom where Paul Rudd is the teacher and Mm -hmm. Paul Rudd is asking the class all these questions and instead of him, you know, raising his his hand to answer, because he knows the answer, he's writing it down in his notebook. Um, Fantastic writing, by the way. It's like (laughs) that right there shows a lot of how immediately to me it showed what type of person he is. Um, where he is in his life and what he's dealing with. Um, Mm -hmm. that social awkward awkwardness. I don't, I didn't immediately think, Oh, this is from being in high school. I'm like, he came to high school with this. You get me? And high school is either going to make it worse or it's going to make it a little bit better, uh, depending Mm -hmm. on how his experience goes. So I, I think it was perfect to unpack it at the end. Um, I think the way they threw in little snippets of his past and what this may mean was great because we didn't need to know what it was. We just knew there was something there. And I think we just needed to be on the journey of him, you know, getting better until we got to unpack what was really going on. Then we could Mm say, oh, dang, this is how, you know, he may need to deal with it. Like, this is what he needs. And I think the story... I think the story um, fixed that at the end kind of like of what where it may lead to Mm -hmm. you know but he I think he was definitely better by the end even with what happened
2: yeah for sure yeah and I think it's like you said he found his tribe and I think that helped significantly because he has a sense of belonging because like in the beginning very introverted didn't talk to other people yeah and I mean, those are hallmarks of, you know, being depressed. And he found people that, you know, he can be friends with and that actually wanted to be his friend. Uh, They ended up being seniors. So it's like he has to navigate when they're gone for the rest of, you know, his time in high school. But I think him uh, finding those people, Ezra Miller, Emma Watson. Yeah, I forget the other actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like that—that that made his—that made his suffering a little bit more tolerable. I yeah,
1: guess. and he also even there was little times where it was almost like he he's he's socially awkward, but he's trying on his own because I mean he, he in the early part of the movie he went to the football game by himself. You know, um, and try to sit next to the most like recognizable person that he can, <laughs> you know, yeah. to try to make, you know, a, a conversation. He also at the dance, you know, did his thing and got right in there, you know, so little things where it's like he's trying his best because he knows if he doesn't, then it could, like, might, it could, it could get bad. And that's a big thing that happens throughout the movie of like, this can get bad. So he mm-hmm. got to make sure it doesn't. You know, uh yeah, but it's unfortunate that his friends happen to be seniors. Uh in college, a lot of my friends were like seniors and stuff, but college is different, Mm -hmm. you know, because then they leave, but they're probably kind of still around. uh, (laughs) Um you know, the area or anything like that. By high school, people could be going to freaking you know, yeah, Stanford or like you like across the state and it's kind of it's not over, but really that close relationship is kind
2: Right. It's like a diaspora for friends when high school ends. It's like, I'm going here, I'm going here, going across the world. And it's like, oh my God, yeah. I'm, I'm here still.
1: <laughs> and you try to make it work, you know, the first year or a few months and then things start happening. And by the time you guys graduate college, you are, really have like a whole group of other people in your life, right. you know, that's different. You guys really do fade away. Yeah, your, right. your circle gets smaller and it changes depending on where you are. Um, if you went to college in the same area, you, you can keep that relationship going on. But I still think it sometimes fades, you know, too, because people mm-hmm. grow and people yeah. like other things and, you know, things happen. But yeah, yeah, that's a big, I think that was a big thing to, um, say about this story is the fact that like he has to, no matter what, he's, he's gonna have to, um, to get better, adapt to certain things on its own. And I think he knows that. So he was trying the whole time to do that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Have you seen the movie Stand By Me?
1: Man, I, okay. Yes and no. Like, I don't remember. (laughs) I don't remember everything about it. And I actually started it, started it again just Mm -hmm. to rewatch it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was coming back to me just a little bit. I just don't remember the middle that okay. much um, but it's it's apparently like from when I watched it to the best coming of age story ever made uh, so I need to see it again
2: you should definitely see it again uh, because talking about like our friend groups changing and evolving over time yeah. maybe think of that movie because there's one line of dialogue that I think is so true which is friends are like the bus boys in life they come and go Oh, yeah. And it's true. It sucks.
1: <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, it does suck, you know? It does. But that that's very, very true. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. Yeah, they come and go. They do.
2: But I think Charlie, I mean, I don't know what his plans are. I think he's going to college yeah. after high school. I think that's that was the plan. Um, He'll find new friends. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, he'll rekindle with his high school friends. True,
1: true. Yeah, because, I mean, he, he's also very talented mm-hmm. and uh, socially better, I'll say. Uh, right. So, and plus his personality, people started gravitating towards crazy enough, you know, um, which he probably right. thought would never would happen. So I think, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he'll, he'll have a good time. If not college, yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> You're
2: crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul Rudd's character. Yeah. What did you think about Paul Rudd's character? So he plays the English teacher. And I think personally, he was very influential on Charlie's development for his freshman year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, he was um, monumental because he was giving him a taste of the things that he likes. that he didn't want to really on, expand on, um, like the books, you know, recommendations and everything of that sort. Um, telling him to speak up more in class a little bit, which he started doing. And I'm a huge advocate for teachers. Like, I love mm. teachers. I think mm. they don't get the most credit. They don't get paid the most, um, which they should. Like, they are right. legit. The reason a lot of us know certain things, um, uh-huh. you know, through education, and they bust their ass to do that because we are so mean. So it's like, I think he's so important because he's the, um, uh, epitome of a teacher that cares a lot. There are some teachers that don't care. I think that percentage is very small because you just can't do that job and not care. You know, right. it's not going to last you that long, but he sees a student, which makes him, his job really worthwhile. You know, that's what they love to see. And he, yeah. he works with him through that, you know, um, Kind of like what I feel like the Edge of Seventeen was trying to do. Uh, without this topic, <laughs> I'm just not a fan of that movie. But like I, I think right, I'm not. I I think that's that made me just so angry because I just hated the, her character so much, and I love her. But I thought the character was such um uh, an asshole.
2: Which movie? Which movie? the
1: Edge of Seventeen?
2: I don't know that one.
1: You don't know that one.
2: I know Seventeen again.
1: Okay. <laughs>
2: Zach Efron.
1: Zac Efron, 17 again. Yeah, The Edge of 17 is with um Haley Steinfeld. Yeah, I mean, it got great reviews. A lot of people loved it. And I watched it, and I'm just like, she is like a terrible person. There's a difference between, yeah, coming of age and, you know, you bratty and everything. No, no, no. She's terrible. Like a terrible person in that movie. But she does have the teacher um. And, uh, student thing going on in terms of like them getting clothes and them trying to learn things and everything. You know, nothing like the kindergarten teacher, but like <laughs> way less than that. But that I thought that was a, okay. you know, I don't think that's their fault. I think the movie was meant to be like that. I just felt <laughs> like I don't know what's going on, but yeah, Paul Rudd was important and I'm glad that, you know, he's there. Plus it was fun to see him do something like that. He was good at
2: what he did. Right. Yeah, I thought it was he was so wholesome yes. in this movie and I'm so used to him doing comedic roles but him yeah. doing like a serious role kind of like a almost like a dead poet society. Oh man, yeah, Robin Williams character. Like I would I would love to watch an entire movie of Paul Rudd being like that type of guy. Same, same. That would be awesome. Yeah, it worked very yeah. well. Yeah. And this is a good segue into back to uh, Charlie's friend group because he ends up dating one of the girls, kind of like the punky looking girl. Elizabeth, right? Yeah. Yeah. And at first it was fine. And then as time went on, she got more and more, I don't know how to describe it, like controlling. Yeah, to the point where she was like putting down the books that Paul Rudd's character was giving Charlie and it's like, "Oh, you crossed the line." No, 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 no. Yeah. That's not good.
1: She was definitely looked like a blessing at first, then became a curse because mm-hmm. she almost started pushing him away from getting better and doing what, well, you know, the, the vision of kind of where he wanted to go, or where he right. needs to go, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and Emma Watts is kinda of watching like, huh. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> he's watching her like, huh. You know, and it's just like, And then he just got Elizabeth in the middle and it's just like, you know, no Charlie, don't do that. And he's just like, oh my gosh. You All know. Right. He does the right thing, probably not in the right way. Um, but with mm-hmm. his personality, I know he didn't mean it. You know, he's just also like he's he's conservative, but at the same time he's a little bit blunt too when, you know, when he gets comfortable. So how he kind of expresses to her that it's not what it should be was, you know, one of those right. things that kind of happened in high school that's like, dang, maybe I should have done that better. But mm. yeah, she was definitely yeah. straying away from life. Yeah, from what he needed to be. Not the right. best thing for him.
2: Right, yeah. Very, very toxic. Not a good relationship. Because like, he's inherently drowning and, like, the friend group is, like, pulling him up and, like, Elizabeth's character is like, I'm gonna bring you back down. Yeah. And I'm gonna drown with you, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like,
2: nah. Not good.
1: Not, no, not that. That's toxic. Yeah. We yeah. don't do
2: toxic. Yeah. We don't do toxic here.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> not at all. That's not for us, man.
2: <laughs> so, that relates to one of the most poignant lines of this movie which is because like you ask yourself, why is he dating this person? Why isn't he? Because like throughout the entire movie, it's quite clear that him and Emma Watson have chemistry. Yeah. yeah. That they should be dating each other. They okay. like each other. They even kissed each other, but they're not dating. Like she's dating some, some asshole. Pretty much. And <laughs> Charlie is dating Elizabeth. hmm So, you're asking yourself why aren't they together and the line that i absolutely love is we gravitate to people and we have the love that we think we deserve and charlie thinks he deserves a toxic person because you know i guess he has his reasons and then emma watson same thing like dating a jerk that totally doesn't deserve her and near the end of the movie she confronts Charlie saying like why didn't you tell me why didn't you like say that you liked me or you want to date me and he gives that line to her like well, "We we go with the people that we think we deserve yeah yeah we deserve their love and it's true because like I have friends that you know they're good looking good looking guy but like totally not confident in himself and it's like what are you like what are you doing man i'm not gonna name names (laughs) it's like like, why are you dating this person like yeah yeah totally i don't get it but like it's a thing that i think 90 percent of people go through which is like you just don't think you're you're just not comfortable with yourself i guess right
1: right right yeah yeah and also i think he kind of took the first thing that showed him anything um the first Mm -hmm. person that kind of showed him any like type of you know affection kind Mm -hmm. of like bluntly showed him and that happens sometimes too uh Mm -hmm. i think emma i think if anybody was a little bit popular in this school she was um so she kind of got the guy that you know wanted her And she's just Mm -hmm. like doing that high school thing, honestly. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And you know, she she said like a lot. woman would do that. (laughs) And be like, why (laughs) didn't you tell me? Yeah, you know? But like, (laughs) uh, obviously, Charlie wouldn't be the one to tell you. But like, (laughs) I think it's something (laughs) that they should have because both mutually went for um, and went towards each other, you know? Because like I said earlier, the way that came out from Charlie of how you know, who he really wants, was messed up, but it's because it prolongs, it prolonged way too much, you know, it was way too long that he was doing what he was doing, she was, you know, over there, he's over here, and he's kind of like, this needs to happen, but she's a senior, you know, she's a senior, and she's this girl, and I'm this guy, yeah, it's the confidence.
2: And like, she's cooler than me, and she listens to cool music, and yeah, so... The confidence just the confidence
1: yeah you know i think it's a good book to film adaption and what it did uh ezra did a fantastic job oh my what god did. Yeah. yeah i think yeah that's worth
2: touching up that, that was a surprise because i haven't seen it in a long time and i'm like that's the flash from justice league <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> You know, and see where he went to now I mean, he's in a whole superhero movie now Mm -hmm. But before, you know, that was like That wasn't his breakout role But that's definitely when people started Looking at him a lot more Um, Because the moment he comes on screen and speaks It's like a big Personality, you know Like a big warmth of like, oh, this guy Is like, he does not care And he depicts a person In high school that we kind of All knew But it's either we thought they were weird or they talk too much or, you know, they just doing the most and all of that stuff. But that guy always knew who he was, you know, at the same time while others were like finding themselves. Things happen at different times for people. He probably, you know, had his time in middle school and went to high school with the utmost confidence. And Mm. he just definitely is extremely confident in that movie, you know? Oh yeah, And deals with what he's dealing with at the same time. So now he's dealing with something else. While other people are dealing with other stuff too.
2: Right. That's that's a huge crux of this movie. Yeah. Um okay. So with Ezra Miller, and you know, I do confuse him with Rami Malek. I think they kind of okay. look the same. <laughs> Have you ever seen them in the same room together? I haven't. I haven't maybe, no. Maybe I, they're the same person.
1: I yeah. I think well, Ezra is definitely skinnier. So I think that's how I oh. could yeah differentiate them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but his character um so he is he's gay yeah yeah and given the time period um I mean it's it's still applicable today where especially high school like I had, I had a so like the group my friend group we had like LGBT people and so in high school I in high school mm. And so I definitely understood the bullying aspect yeah, yeah. of that because like, it's definitely real. I, I I like to think that it doesn't happen nowadays. I mean, it's it's been quite a few years since I've been in high school, yeah, right, but right. you know, back in the day, it wasn't a fun time. And with Ezra Miller's character, so he is dating, I guess, the quarterback. Of right, football, yeah, yeah. Or he's a prominent person on a football team and Ezra Mills character very open very flamboyant like you know he's gay he's very open about it yeah the guy he's dating or hooking up with is very much in the closet and hiding it at all costs yeah yeah and that drives a giant stake through their relationship or a wedge through their relationship yeah
1: yeah it's yeah and it does it, it, that's high school that's the other thing that's like Crazy about this movie, to be honest. Just show that in screen. I mean, that came out in 2012, and Mm -hmm. um, it's it's definitely something like that happens to a lot of people, you know. And the fact that Ezra is so open, and that's why I said like he is confident is like up there. But in that aspect, it's it's not necessarily because of who he's with, you know. And when Charlie Mm -hmm. um comes about it, (laughs) you know. It's, it's also like now he, he opens another door of friendship with him because um, towards the end, too, they get more into that friendship, um, which is different from him and Emma Watson's relationship, you know. So he kind of has somebody to talk to. Uh, and it's like it's like Charlie has that, you know, now he has that responsibility on his back. Uh, but it, it's definitely, yeah, that's something, you know, big in the movie of that confidence builder but like also who's going through what at, at what time in I school? like Charlie's mm-hmm. going through the depression you know the anxiety as well as the socialness um friend relationship wise you know his sister is dealing with a asshole boyfriend um <laughs> you know <laughs> a dumb asshole boyfriend at the same time which is kind of like yeah. what are you doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> like what are you doing and Ezra's dealing with that you know right. that kind of blows up at one moment. Also, another favorite scene of mine: Charlie gets mm. down. But like, yeah.
2: it's, <laughs> <laughs> dude, he kicked like three dudes' asses. Bro, They're taller than him.
1: Like another scene that I think directors can, you know, um, look at and and because when you write that in a screenplay, you probably could put that a million different ways. You know, um, you could get really gruesome and graphic with it. You could get explicit. You could get um, really artsy with it. But the way they did it, I didn't kind of expect it, you know, um, because they decided to show a blackout. Like, we know Charlie blacked out, but they blacked out the screen and then went back into picture. Yeah, and his knuckles Mm -hmm. were just bloody, you know, Mm -hmm. and everybody's messed up on the floor. It, It was extremely intense. Like, you still... That intensity is the same as if we saw it. You know? Right. Yeah, which I think was a very smart way to play. It wasn't even it wasn't a, even like a cinematic moment or anything like that. It was just great editing. You know, and direction. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's definitely one of the more memorable sequences, like uh the episode near the end. Yeah. This blackout scene. So it's kinda like breadcrumbs that the director's laying in like this guy has, you know, unchecked issues. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because when someone like, and I know people um, with, uh, the, with the way Charlie is, and when, when they get angry, it's like, and then if they say the human mind is also a very complex place, so we're way stronger than we know. And I think when he gets to, <laughs> yeah, when he gets to that place, you don't know what may happen. It was like three guys, it, like three football player guys, right. you know? Um, yeah. And the line that he has after that is like genius too, you know? Uh, <laughs> what is it? Touch my friends again and I'll blind you. Like it's kind yeah. of, it's pretty yeah. insane. Yeah. And he's dead serious. And he mm-hmm. just, he wasn't even physically and uh, his face. He didn't even look like he was like extremely, you know, crazy or anything like that. He was just, just very calm, upset, but it was a calm type of upset, too, which is the scariest ones. You know, he didn't need to get to that place, but it was necessary for that moment. I think Mm so. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like, if that was, like, my kid, I would be like, you shouldn't be violent, but good job. Yeah. (laughs) You did the right thing. Let's
1: get some ice cream. Uh, Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. I mean, he was defending (laughs) his friend who was getting at least they showed that who's getting brutally um jumped, you know, mm. so it would have got really bad after a wow. while. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: That's so fucked up. Yeah,
1: it is, man. It is, it's messed up. It's messed up and it happens. So yeah. I'm glad the way they did it and they choose, they chose the the character you would least suspect to defend because Emma jumped right. in there and they threw her right back. So like <laughs> 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 they're like, Okay, you're not yeah, you're not gonna get but Charlie just walked up He didn't even run He walked up into the scene It blacks mm-hmm. out and it just comes back And everyone's down yeah. yeah yeah.
2: I liked how the movie Portrayed Prejudice and homophobia Because It's definitely A major issue Why can't people just chill out You know Because people are not like, you like Everyone's <laughs> I don't know, people just need to chill out. It's like we're all different. Just calm down, yeah, society you know?
1: has a lot of issues um for sure that they don't necessarily find ways to fix um there's many ways they 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 have going on to fix, uh but at the end of the day, people seem like they still have their own agenda, you know
2: right, right, but uh yeah, I think overall. It was a good choice. Yeah, man. And I rewatched it. like,
1: what What am I going to give him? I, you know, and I didn't want to say Harry Potter because I promise I would have. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> we could have done Harry Potter. We could have done Harry.
1: I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, but that would. I don't know. I wanted to give something that the audience may not know much of, even though I know a lot mm. of people know the movie, but I met somebody mm. the other day that didn't. And I'm like, bro, definitely watch this. He's a director <laughs> and... No, he's a cinematographer, my bad. And he's like, constantly, he's a huge cinephile too. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, this is like, when it comes to coming of age movies, this is my top five. You know, it's on there. Yeah, it's definitely, I think everybody needs to see it.
2: Wow. I would not have expected that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cause like.
1: Watch it again, man. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you, you like it, but I've seen it a million. I think I have it on my computer. So I've seen it a million times.
2: Very important movie.
1: Yeah, pretty important.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365 day returns. Very important
1: movie. Very important movie.
2: I could see some hallmarks uh, that you emulated in your short film from Perks of Being a Wallflower. Really? Uh-huh. Oh, it,
1: okay. It just, what else do you see? <laughs> That's interesting to hear, you know?
2: Okay, so the beginning by you yeah. setting, the, the color temperature and like the whole ambiance, very similar to the interior shot of the high school party. Oh, same of color course. temperature, same like vibe. And I'm like, uh, no flickering light. Very, very, very. But like little things like that, I'm like, uh, you probably didn't notice. But your brain did. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think when it comes to coming of age, and that's a coming of age movie too. I guess, I guess, with unwillingly, I did. Yeah, have some inspirations. That's true. I ain't noticed that.
2: Two great movies. <laughs> yeah. So to close the show, what we like to do on Syndicate is the one reason why. So I'm going to ask you today, Elise, what is the one reason you would give somebody to watch The Perks of Being a Wallflower?
1: I think the one reason people should watch her to being a wildflower is, huh? It's because it, it's it's not crazy enough. It's not the typical coming of age movie. Um, it's the perfect blending of a feel good movie, but it tackles a very 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 important message. Um, mm. that I think a lot of coming of age movies do not tackle because they're either afraid or they don't know how it may come across to children. But I don't think that any of that matters because it's something that is very true. I think we may have came across socially awkward people. I'm I'm probably 100% sure in high school, all of us came across socially awkward people, you know? (laughs) Of course, (laughs) of course. You know? And we never may have known what they may have been going through. But in this Mm -hmm. movie, this whole movie is told through the eyes of that person. You know, so how many times do you get to see that?
2: Not a whole lot. It's usually probably the protagonist would be Emma Watson. Right. Or maybe Ezra Miller. It would not be Charlie.
1: It wouldn't be Charlie. Charlie would be, you know, he wouldn't even be part of the friend group. He would probably be that, you know, maybe person they come across, you know, Mm. and say something to interact with and then keep on moving. You know, but if this was coming from Emma Watson character, who's a lot more popular, head on the mm-hmm. shoulders, then I don't think it would be as interesting. You know, uh, like I think for sure. Yeah. This movie decided to take that friend group. I kind of say in most movies, you got those three friend groups or two. It's the cool kid, the comedic relief and, you know, the chill guy. But in this movie, you got the socially awkward kid who's the lead. Um, <laughs> you know, the yeah. maybe Ezra's the comedic relief, but he's also kind of like more of the 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 goofball too at the same time. But it works. Right. But he also has another layer to him, which is huge. And then you have Emma Watson, who's I guess more so of the chill, you know, girl that everybody wants to the girl next door that every kind of wants to be next to but she also has relationship issues. So, you know, all three of them got something going on. They're not, you know, your typical three-person friend group. And um, this movie did very well, you know, expanding on their stories and, you know, getting us through the life of Charlie and how he's going to, you know, keep going after that.
2: Right. Yeah. That is absolutely true. And... My one reason is going to I'm going to piggyback off of yours. Yeah. yeah. Which is it's a very bold decision to showcase Charlie as the protagonist and have it be Charlie's story at the end of the day. And I think this movie people should watch this movie because it showcases accurately like a dysfunctional friend group. But like it's not dysfunctional interpersonally like with each other with each other they're perfect it's like a perfect friend group but within themselves they all have issues Mm -hmm. and when you have characters like that people can relate to them it's like yeah it's probably why this movie is so beloved is like you can almost see aspects of yourself in each one of the characters it's like oh i understand how each of these characters what they're going through because either myself or a friend or someone that I even know went through that, and it's like, it it humanizes the whole experience. It's universal. Yeah, absolutely. But that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chubisky. Please check it out where it is available. And now I'd like to take a moment to thank my guest, Elise, for coming onto the show.
1: Thank you, thank you, man. It was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. You Absolutely. know, uh, it, it's it's always a pleasure to speak to um, a fellow cinephile because, man, oh, we could thank go you, forever. Thank um, <laughs> 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 we, we really can, but it's dope. <laughs> yeah, it's dope how you can break down a movie. It's always mm-hmm. great to meet people like that. Man. Fantastic.
2: I'm honored. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you, director of Tribeca. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to check out Elise's... Film Arinko and Adagio on Amazon Prime or wherever it is streaming. But if you'd like to keep this conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at syndicate, that is C-I-N-E-D-I-C-A-T-E, syndicate on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Have any questions or film recommendations, please send your emails to info at syndicate.com or visit the website syndicate.com. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.